Uh, next Sunday, we will have church as we do every Sunday of the year. Uh, we have enough people that do walk to the building here that you just want you to know ahead of time, inclement weather when it comes to stuff like that, we'll be here. We, if the power's out, we will be here. We can do church out in the hallway with the acoustic, go unplugged. We will always be here any Sunday, but please drive at your own risk. Please be very careful. Be careful. Take care of your family. But uh, for those of you that live within walking distance, and I know we have a number of people that do, we will always be here having church. I will always be here. We will be singing, praying, getting into the scripture. Sound good? Let's pray and ask God to help us as we approach the scripture today. God, I just thank you that Jesus is God with us, that it was Jesus who said that he'd send the Holy Spirit to guide us in truth, and that you have a heart to help us, to not leave us flailing out on our own, but to care for us and to lead us. I ask that even as we go to the Christmas story today, that you would open our spiritual eyes, that you would bring healing uh, where healing is needed, and strength and faith where it is needed in each of us personally. As we serve our families, neighbors, co-workers, friends in Baltimore City. I ask where 2014 has brought great injury that you would bring great healing and grace and restoration. That we could yet again look to a new year with great hope, great vision, great faith, and great excitement. We thank you for it and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been in a, um, a series wrapping up this November, December of this year, and I've invited you to be reading the Gospel of Luke, Luke's account, the doctor who set out to gather all the eyewitness accounts and write down a record of Jesus and his time on earth. And so I've invited you to be reading Luke and going through Luke and his account, and we've been pulling out stories from Luke to learn a little bit more about Jesus. I find that it is, it's really helpful to be asking ourselves, you know, these very basic questions. Who, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? And I want you to be considering that, especially in this holiday season. If there's anyone that should be an expert on Christmas and full of joy at Christmas, it should be us. Just do what I do and avoid them all. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? Like it or not, believe it or not, Jesus is alive today. And it's a relevant question. What are his thoughts? What are his feelings? What is his purpose? What does Jesus have for me today? What is Jesus really like? If I'm going to find hope in this season which may not be easy for you, i got to ask the question, what is Jesus like? Who is Jesus? What did He do? What did He say? Where did He do and say those things? When? How did He live? How did He speak? How, how did He do the things that He did? Why? Why? Why did Jesus come? Why did He live the way that He lived? Why did He die? What is Jesus like? I believe that every moment of Jesus communicates to us about God. What God is like and what God thinks about us. And that they're very plain, simple truths in the scripture that if we don't investigate them, 
We're relegated to ignorance. We're relegated to not knowing about our loving Creator who cares for us, who has purpose for us, who has meaning for us, who has joy for us. And so this week I want to do, let's do the grown-up Christmas story. Is that okay? Are you ready for that? Let's do the grown-up Christmas story. Luke 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eye of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the, to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must seen, have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. 
The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded with a song, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For He has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham, and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, No, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell His people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in the spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. At the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus, 
uh, excuse me, at the time of the Roman emperor, Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinus was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led, to him, led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord, As the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phineo, the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. 
Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow at the, to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She, was ta- she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When the Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other, uh, the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard about him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. I chose to read the the full two chapters. There's actually a lot in these two chapters that's relevant to the life of our church in the last six weeks, and actually in the next six weeks. We don't have time to dive into all of that uh, this morning, but I felt that I can't do better than the Scripture itself at describing the Christmas story. Certainly easy for us to forget how many supernatural things occur. How active and evident the Holy Spirit is. For us, a church that believes in the Holy Spirit, the activity of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the infilling, the speaking of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, it's relevant, it's important. We have fasting and prayer. We have baby John's namesake, the meaning of his name that we talked about just recently, the whole idea of baby dedication that we've just been talking about recently. But most importantly, is the story of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever wondered before, why didn't Jesus just show up at 30 years old? I mean, God really could do whatever he wants to do, right? Why didn't he just show up for the public stuff? Am I the only one? <laughs> you know, why, why come? Yes, the Christmas story is cute and it's nice and you get through all the prophecies. It's actually pretty phenomenal. It's unprecedented. But after the Christmas story, now we've, we've caught up to where we left off previously. Why? Why did Jesus lead such a normal life for 30 years? You know, I believe that not a single moment 
of the 30 years of Jesus' life, of which so little is written, not a moment was wasted. Sad to say, in the United States, uh, church has become an event that we attend that caters to the culture of celebrity. In fact, I find that a lot of people's expectations of when they come to church are wrapped up in this. It's supposed to be a show. It's supposed to be about a celebrity. I'm supposed to watch someone who has a relationship, interaction with God. But that's not God's intention. It was not God's design. Jesus, every moment speaking to us, God communicating with us through 30 years of a very ordinary life, we miss out on the fact that God is not the God of celebrities. Now, He certainly is God to them as they are human, just as you are. But God is God to every person. In the Jewish culture, a young man became a man at age 12. Jesus could have taught and done miracles and died on a cross at age 12. But God didn't decide to do that. It would have justified the Jewish laws and culture and tradition and history. It would have justified the covenant that God initiated starting in the Garden of Eden. He could have accomplished it that way, but He did not decide to do that. No, instead, communicating through the life of Jesus, Jesus chose to live a very ordinary life for 30 years. Not a moment wasted. It saddens me a little bit that so little is written about his life. Because I think every one of us and every one of us in this room knows what it's like to feel ordinary. I'm not sure that parents and teachers do us a favor by telling us all that we're special. There's a gift, there's a beauty, there's a wonder in being ordinary. Not a moment wasted. Not a moment. 30 years of a very ordinary life of doing chores, obeying his parents as we have so expressly written here. Learning to communicate, learning to have a social life, learning, cultivating his human sense of humor. Working with Joseph in the carpentry business as would have been tradition to take it on, to be the one that would eventually carry that business when Joseph would pass away. He lived a very ordinary life. He knew how to pound nails. He had to work hard. He didn't have soft skin on his palms like a celebrity. He was a blue-collar worker. He didn't talk in the high English. And you know, one reason we don't do high service with recited prayers and all the form and the tradition of which there are many beautiful meanings, but one reason why we don't do it is that's not who Jesus is. It's not who he was. He spoke in the everyday language, in really a sixth grade vocabulary. That's who Jesus is. He lived an ordinary life. Not remarkable, except that though he was tempted in every way, he did not fall. 
except who he was before he was born. Scripture reveals to us he was with God before the very creation of the world. Except for the fact of who he is today. The passage in Hebrews we've been looking at describes him as seated by the hand of the Father. I know that it's so easy in our life with the challenges that we face to get stressed and to say, God, aren't you stressed out for me? And to feel a little bit weird when we realize that Jesus is seated. Jesus is seated at a place of honor, the right hand of the Father, because He's not stressed out, because He knows who wins. He knows where the victory will be. Because it's completed, because it's already done. Because He's already seen our life. Nothing that we face yesterday, today, tomorrow will surprise Him. He's not stressed out. He cares. He is with you. So finally, as I wrap up the title of the message, Jesus is God with us. Possibly no other prophet besides Isaiah had more revealed to him about who the Messiah would be. And it is Isaiah who wrote, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I hope, I pray, that what you hear, that what you see, is that the ordinary life of Jesus is communicating to you that He is God with us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been God with us. Right? What changes as in Femi's story, is our awareness of Him and our awareness of the fact that He is with us. Rebecca and I have this tradition, we put the kids to bed, we sit with them in their room as they go to sleep. You know, putting a child to bed is this amazing honor and privilege and it's a tremendous amount of influence and opportunity. And sometimes you have to shake off the crust of the day and how frustrated you might be with that child or whatever, and you have to go in there with mercy and grace and love and reflect the love of God to them, pray with them, talk with them. But we we sit down and we hold their hand and we're, we're just with them in silence as they go to sleep. And Because Jesus is God with us. So whether you're aware of it or not, and they, they doze off and they fall asleep and they're not aware. You know, sometimes... Sitting there watching a movie on my, you know, phone or whatever, you know, I'm just with them, and they're not even aware that I'm with them. They're already out cold. But sometimes in our life we get so caught up with what we see that we lose awareness that He is with us. See, before Jesus ascended back into the heavens, He said, "I will never leave you. I will never forsake you." Jesus is God with us. It's sad to say it is our awareness that changes. And I mean, I'm with you. My life has been the same way. There are many times in my life where I've allowed work, where I've allowed pressure, expectations, insecurity, fear, or doubt, or whatever it is. I've allowed life to crowd in to my capacity. Some of you might be surprised how small my capacity is. 
The things crowd in. And then as life crowds in, I lose my awareness that Jesus is God with us. And I find that when I am full of myself or fearful or insecure or anxious or worried or upset or stressed, that it is because I am not in that moment fully aware that Jesus is God with us. See, if I'm aware that Jesus is God with us, it changes how I feel about everything. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Listen to God's communicating to us. God loves you. You know, I pray for you daily. Every week when I pray, God, what, you know, plan out series, obviously, and Bible study and pray and consider what the church needs for feeding. But one of the things I do on a regular basis is always also stop, even though everything is prepared, and and pray and say, God, what do you want to say today to your people? And every time I hear God say, tell them I love them. God loves us. We need to soak in an awareness. He doesn't love us less because we let time go by without that awareness. God loves us. He loves you. He's for you. How many of you would just like someone in your life who's for you? who's got your back, who cares about you, who is always for you. God is for you. He loves you. He understands you. You ever been at a place in your life where you don't feel understood? God understands you. God redeems you. He makes it right. He provides you new life and fresh purpose. That's who God is. It is what He does because He communicated to us that Jesus, the miracle of His birth, this very ordinary life for 30 years, that Jesus is God with us. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. What we see in the story in the first two chapters of Luke is that our response matters. Why wasn't Zechariah able to speak for a while? He didn't believe. Why did Elizabeth say that Mary was blessed? Because she believed. Why did the shepherds tell everyone? Because it was just like the angel told them. They believed. They took action. You know, they could have stayed with the sheep. That would have been the more natural response, but they didn't do that. They took a step of faith. Faith is that action, right? God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Our response matters. And listen, it can feel overwhelming. I get that. You're not wired to respond alone. You're not. Stop. Stop, please. Stop trying to respond to God alone. Ask Him for help. Set the Holy Spirit to help you and seek the help of others. We are here to be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, 
and share his love. It's the whole purpose. So our response to this story is wrapped up in the very fiber, the very fabric of this this message today from Luke 1 and 2. How does it happen? What does it look like? Well, if I'm connecting with Jesus, I should be growing in my intimacy with God. I should be also growing in my relationship with other people. There's small groups. Some of you have had a rough year, and some of you that have had a rough year have not been in a small group. You need to be in a small group. It's where we are face-to-face with each other, showing that we love each other, that we are for each other. And I know it's weird. I know it may be a weird, scary concept for you, but you need it. You need it. You need to be in a small group. That's what this church is designed for. That's why we exist. The only way you're going to respond to the birth of Jesus, the very ordinary life of Jesus, the very thought that Jesus is God with us in a right way is with the help of others weekly. That's why we're not doing concerts and all these extra events. This church is architect. It is designed simple. Sunday morning in small group, that's it because we want you to have friends, to have a life. Are you glad your church wants you to have a life? We want you to have a life. We want you to enjoy it. But I want you to be in a small group every week because when you're in a room with other people that are for you, that care about you, when you look right and don't, when you smell right and don't, when your joke is funny and when it's not, when you're around people like that, you grow. And then what you want to do naturally, not because I asked you to, is to share. To get out there and share with not yet Christians. We see a church... Loving people in a way that, loving Jesus in a way that people talk about. We see a church where people find salvation and healing in Jesus. We see a church helping people find careers and peaceful homes. We see a church where everyone can find a place that they fit. We see a church serving the city with love that works. And guess what? Springing up out of the concrete of the middle of Baltimore City is such a church. That is us. Amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus is God with us? Chris is going to come and lead us in communion in in the, the few moments that we have left. Will you stand, please?